this what? Uh, no more surprises. So when Mike I ask you, us? yeah, no. When I ask you, it's like, okay, what's on the agenda? And you're like, okay, we're gonna talk about this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, okay, sweet. And also this thing I'm not telling you about. Or you could tell me. So when it, you just, you know, bring it up, I'm not thrown off, put off guard or whatever. This isn't like a duel, you know. We're supposed to be working together on this show. We don't need to be getting one up on each other. Yeah. Instead, it became old game memories I remember. And that's fine if you had told me ahead of time. It's like, what recent games have you played? And it's like, well, hey, you remember the shareware game from 1996? Like, oh, for fuck's sake. I mean, there are good things in it. Just I would like more good things. Is that too much to ask? More good and less bad? I think that's what we all aspire as human beings. More good than bad. Yeah, I don't give a shit about humanity. I'm talking about this fucking podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's an entirely different story in itself now. It's a story we can manipulate. Yeah. We so can... manipulate it better. Yeah. It's just us two guys bullshitting, whatever. Mostly gaming related anyway. We're just two guys and we're having a good time. Most of the time. Well, you're having a good time. I'm Loki Jarson, and this is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast. Uh, I'm joined here today by my brother, Lord Master of YouTube, also known as Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Loki Jarson. It's been a long while. Well, since December. It's been like two months. And, uh, don't date these things. How many times I got to tell you? What have you been doing in these however many months it's been since the last time you recorded? Busy. A lot busy. <laughs> a lot of video recording from... A lot of busy. Yes, a lot of busy. Uh... Just video recordings from various games. Well, about three or four. Yeah, mm-hmm. four. You got your ongoing Crusader King stuff, of course. Yes, uh, that was the main video series that I've been doing. Either two or three. Sometimes both. Simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Whenever we do such times. Now, the uh, last time we ever talked about... Th- anything Crusader Kings really was that upcoming uh, DLC which has been since released for about uh, a month now, over a month mm-hmm. which is the Royal Courts DLC as well as its uh, patch that comes along with it Fleur de Lay I believe that's the name of the um, patch that they called it Fleur that version because it's French. yes in which uh, which surprisingly after months of delays um, the reviews were uh, somewhat positive as it came out. At least on its. Uh, I can't believe this only costed thirty dollars. Yeah, it was thirty some odd dollars when it uh, when it came out, which is probably to you absurd for a PC DLC, right? I think it's absurd for any DLC. I didn't want to pay that for the Assassin's Creed Valhalla DLC, and I think that was forty. So I guess it was worth the wait then. Well, does it come with everything you previewed? Yeah, pretty much, um, but from experiences, as with many other people, it varies, depending on their play style or whatever their goals are. Mm. 
I've only watched on one other person did a playthrough, but that's because it's related to some other thing that we'll talk about a little later. Um, it's like yeah, everybody's got their own ideas and whatnot, whereas the series that I've been doing is the ongoing uh, Pannonian Avar series, which as of this uh, podcast we're recording on, 19 episodes in the series so far. Is this the one you had to delay because you're waiting for mod updates? Um, slightly, yeah, but it only lasts for about three to four days. And huh. for realize, okay, let's get started. It's just waiting for them to be up to date. It's mostly cosmetics and all that. And a few other things that would be suited for, including mods that I never used in a previous series, which was uh, that Bosnian series, which is the last one I did before the Avars one. And so I w it took me a while in sense of trying out the new features of the DLC that it provides. Um, such as, you know, get your own royal court, which you have to get out of that tribal government and get into feudal or clan, which depends on where you're from and what culture you are. Hmm. But it wasn't until <laughs> a week after I recorded an episode where we went from tribal to feudal that they say, hey, here's a new... Um, version point whatever update to another patch that fixed a few things of whatever issues they were which were relatively minor and I didn't encounter any of them as far as I'm concerned but now they have tribal courts so I'm like which is okay, man I don't know if that makes a lot of sense historically but whatever <laughs> yeah otherwise it'll just be the long houses like you see in those Norse houses up there mm -hmm. yeah that's what tribal courts look like, basically. But uh, whereas we just got out of tribal and we we're feudal from then on out, <laughs> no longer Tengrist pagan, and now, for now, Orthodox Christian feudal cognate, which is a term they use for empire in the Avar culture, along with Turkics and Mongolic cultures. As I'm a cognate. except uh, we went from being warlike to be more of a egalitarian or cosmopolitan these days as of the last recording because we are able to do this new feature which is a culture hybrid hybridization we formed a hybrid culture which I've been slightly hesitant to because of the cost but one of its uh, traditions for the Avars is where you have a reduction like say minus 75 reduction of prestige costs to form a hybrid culture which you're going to have to have this other culture have the acceptance up to 40% to form a hybrid with them well obviously they have to like you otherwise they wouldn't join with you duh yeah it depends on recent events or your cultural traditions versus their traditions um, and is the ruler open minded versus he open minded combined both would have contributed to the increase and the main reason why we decided to hybrid this culture, um, which in specific is the Radonites, which I don't know if that's a culture itself. The Radonite Jewish culture, as it's called in the game, whereas in actual most of the things I've never heard of it. Yeah, whereas in actuality, it's a um, a merchant guild or a clan or whatever. But they travel along the most of the trade routes of Eastern Europe and into the Silk Road. But there was one we were neighboring with, and I thought. I checked their ethos and traditions. I'm like, oh, they're much nicer people. They'll be very quickly to accept instead of the ones we're trying to please over there, which would take decades. Hmm. 
because they're more technologically advanced to us. And that's the... You can always just subjugate them, but you never go for that route. Well, what we did is we fabricate the claim of that county where that culture lives, even though it's ruled by another foreigner. So we fought a war for it, and after we took over the land, we decided to appoint a local noble there who would be of that land's culture and of our faith. Orthodoxy for now. Um, this wouldn't, of course, piss off the locals and lead them to revolt. No, of course not. That would keep the popular opinion up. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's popular opinion. That's another factor. If it was low, there would have been peasant revolts. <laughs> or populist revolts, especially if it's of a different faith. <laughs> so we brought in a Radonite guy in here, and, and obviously we're nice people, and it made the cultural acceptance gain way faster than the one I was trying to work on. And, and then we formed a hybrid culture, which what that does is um, whatever ethos or traditions you had, well, it's of your own choosing in the sense of, um, let's say, again, we were a warlike people, and they're of the cosmopolitan kind and philosopher culture, which is why we decide to hybridize with them um, because they are more technologically advanced than us in innovation so if you were to form a hybrid culture with with another foreign culture that is more advanced than you then you would pick up their innovations and then you're on par with them why would a culture stronger than you ever agree to join with you though i understand if you're the stronger nation well, but in this instance you're the weaker one well it's not the strength of the nation that contributes to the acceptance it's Again, ethos and traditions, as well as sending your steward to promote cultural acceptance in the county where that other culture lives. And that also contributes to the percentage. And as well as having the open-minded perk from the scholar skill tree from the learning, um, from the learning lifestyle. <laughs> Further contributed if that person did the same thing. Let's say, okay, we're both open-minded now. Oh, and another thing. I forgot one little detail. Uh, mm -hmm. Cultural acceptance is another way to gain them. Learn their language. We had to learn the Islerite language, which is what it's called in the game anyhow. So, so that way we can have an understanding. And further, just to negate whatever penalties due to saying, oh, you're just a foreigner. <laughs> and later on in the series, I plan on, you know, hybridize with another culture. Oh. By the way, our culture's name, as of this recording for now, is called Radonite Avar. <laughs> and it's and we want to hybridize with the Greeks next. This is the one that'll take decades to please. It's going to be called uh, Greco Radonite Avar. But you can actually rename it yourself if you wish. But I'm not Why that creative name. Why don't you? Name. Because that's a lot of saying. I would probably rename it whenever I do this other feature. Diverge the culture that you are currently with. Um, which is basically splitting away from you know, say your old culture and decide to form a new one just to have some modifications or changes regarding, you know, traditions and whatnot. Like how we say this is the old culture and this is the new or neo-culture, um, like, you know, Greek terms. <laughs> so it's possible that we may diverge a culture and call it neo-avar or just be, well, lazy and just call it Carpathian because the name of our nation is Carpathia. Referring to the Carpathian Basin and the mountains. <laughs> yeah, just call it by a new ethnicity rather than nationality, so to speak. Kind of like how some Americans call themselves Americans by ethnicity rather than nationality. Does anyone actually do that? 
What's that? Does anyone actually do that outside of Twitter? No, that's in the American South to some. All the way up to Kentucky. There are those that call themselves Americans. As someone who lives in the American South, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's in the census. Fuck the census. You didn't move on. Next thing. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we would be talking about the census of my current cognate at this point, but it's already mixed. And we're mixing even more, and then we mix another and another, you know, the hybridism and all that. <laughs> Do you want to get to the mods? Or? Yes, that's my next thing on the agenda. Now, the mods, which is, again, most of the mods that I use um, are just mainly cosmetics, just to have more accurate for the period. Like, things like the Community Flavor Pack, which they do update it almost uh, every month just to add a few new clothing apparels or hairstyles its last update they added mustaches for certain cultures for Europeans and Asians as they already have them for Indians and Iranians in the game they have their mustaches <laughs> as well as different clothing apparels which it varies by region although he's kinda uh, by he I mean the guy who made the mod um, is currently on break from any clothing apparels and this time he's focusing on you know artifacts both for personal use and court artifacts just for show uh, and this little thing he has upcoming called the music of the court which is a worldwide expansion about music events decisions and royal court content that's upcoming as I see the picture of two guys holding musical instruments and it's by, and it's with an original soundtrack by a guy which I don't know if you want me to mention him. No, I don't. Okay, fair enough. But he's Not unless he's going to mention us. Fuck him. Yeah, but he's a real a pro at it because he makes music by by certain regions as well. I don't know where he, how he arranges all that when it comes to original soundtrack, orchestra-like compositions, compositions, whatever you call it. Sure, I get you. And of course, there's the Ethnicities Portraits Expanded, which I did not use in the Boston series because that didn't exist at that time. Um, but certainly using it for the um, for the current series and future series thereafter, which is basically is a really really big mod in terms of size of the data. Not enough to, you know, whatever. But it's more cosmetics. They just added more clothes and certain styles and whatnot, similar to the other one, but. This one added, you know, just textures of what do these ethnic peoples of all the cultures in the game look like accurately, even if some of them look like how they look like today. Again, I can't see what this really adds to gameplay. Yeah, again, it's just more cosmetics than anything else, but... If you're looking for those that adds more um, gameplay, there's one of them that I've added, which was again we were playing as a warlike culture, so I needed something that was severely lacking in in another way, and that is anything that's warfare related. It's not supposed to make it too difficult, like I did with Crusader Kings when I talked about the Dark Ages, which is basically challenging myself. Mm -hmm. One of which is simply called Better Battles, which is warfare reinvigorated as. The creator of the mod Combat says... Combat evolved. <laughs> yeah. So it just adds more battle events and siege events and sometimes battlefield duels. Um, especially during the first couple of episodes that I have our series where 
that was really shown. It only works if you, the leader, lead an army and get involved in a battle and, and, and sometimes events will pop up for you to make a decision. And sometimes, depending on the position, whether if you are a strategic commander where you kind of stay out of the fighting yourself unless it really breaks down, or be a frontline commander where you are first in line fighting alongside of your men and you're more than likely get involved in some, some events like battlefield duels which fortunately I've only been like two of them <laughs> um, none of them that I faced had a higher prowess skill than me prowess is personal combat skill <laughs> including this one person that I faced um, who was a, a child soldier even though he lied to his age saying he's 16 but when I look at the character says he's 13 I'm like what the hell are you doing on the battlefield and it gives you the choice of do you want to kill this person or just knock him out and be merciful and get on with fighting somebody else <laughs> I often go with the latter um, but depends on the personality of the character where if you are compassionate and if you decide to kill this you know person and uh, that adds a little stress do the merciful option lowers the stress loses stress. I can't imagine how that would lower stress but fine yeah it depends on if you're a nice one or a cruel one again it varies by trait of a character you're playing as as you lead the troops in a battle so theoretically could you make your character so evil that you don't have the option to knock him out um if you decide to be merciful that'll gain you stress which makes you like oh I should have killed that one that's not who I am <laughs> Trust me, there's so many decisions, even if it's not battle-related, but every every decision, whatever decision you make, there's always the little thing of, oh, you gain stress because you have this trait, and that goes against who you are. So it is a lot more role-play than what is previously speculated. Yes, uh, especially that I once told you during a recent recording where I decided to disinherit my son and heir who was the eldest and go for the youngest and say because I did not like the way he was raised. You could say yeah he was very skilled at what he does but one severe flaw. He's honest despite the fact that he's a man of intrigue thinking he's suited to be the kind of guy who would come up with murder plots and all that. But the problem is him being honest and further adding the other traits that also increases a bigger stress gain that you can say just a mere thought of coming up with a plot to kill is going to have a stress gain so high that he would have a mental breakdown. So why would he want to be a spy master? <laughs> I don't know. Everybody, every character in the world is unique to themselves. Especially how you were raised or how you didn't raise because you assigned a guardian. Because that's what I did. It's like, oh, he's going for intrigue. Oh, give it to some guy who knows this stuff better than I. And I realized, well, I should have raised him personally so I can tell him which trait he should have or not have. Uh, anyways, back to the uh, battle, better battles mod, as we just peered on with it. And they had the siege events, which usually happens every time a siege is finished, where there were the guy, especially if it's the ruler who was in the siege and didn't lead his troops, then increases the chance that you're likely going to capture him and you'll win the war uh, without prolonging it. <laughs> or capture some other vassal of his and, and maybe you ransom him for money, just another source of income. So, yeah, that's all that. Uh, as well as, um, oh, uh, one more thing from that mod is uh, characters who are wounded in battle can now have this event. Instead of having wait for the court physician to fix you up, 
But during one of those battle events, and if you happen to get wounded, there's going to be another battle-related event where some soldier would say, hey, I think I have the learning skill to try to fix you up, you know, be a combat <laughs> medic. So you just call for a medic, really? Yes, they call you a medic, although there is a chance that it could, very small chance that it's like, it's a miracle, no longer wounded, back in action. Or just relieve you a bit, or make it worse by turning it into severely injured. Well, because it's still medieval. It's like, I'll cure your wounds by putting a bunch of leeches on your face. That'll fix you. Yeah. <laughs> so, but at least in the current update, which was updated a couple of weeks ago, that he was able to fix a major issue that characters who got wounded can never recover from that character's life. So they kind of fixed that. I, in fact, the first three of my rulers, uh, even though the last one wasn't combat related, all died of their wounds. That was their official cause of death at their later age. <laughs> Two of them were battle related, and one was <laughs> due to a, a botched experiment by a physician and further aggravated when had a little event from one of those other mods I use. I will talk in, uh, in the next thing where let's just say he spilled himself some hot tea and that added a little more health penalty, a tiny penalty. That's a stupid way to die. Yep. So, uh, again, there's other things that I mentioned about. They don't really add difficulty to gameplay as much as it enhances it in the flavor. And we've mentioned in one of the previous episodes regarding Viet, the very immersive events in Tales mod on Crusader Kings 2. This is the doofus who puts in a bunch of references. Yes. And... And obviously there's a Crusader Kings 3 version of it, which I've been using that since the Bosnian series way back in December of 2020. And he updates it almost every month. Sometimes twice a month. If it has to have a little hotfix. Why doesn't he just make his own game if he's doing this this much? Yeah. And the last one he made was, was due to the part of the Royal Court DLC as well as adding the artifacts. The last one he made is, you know, Nali cluttered artifacts which was adapted from CK2 as well as recipes and recipe related events like it's like here here's the uh, little uh, artifact your personal trinket so to speak this uh, will help you make pie better yes you can make the pie you can make baklava which is the guy's favorite and as well as certain regions and uh, hummus I've seen a guy in an Avar vassal that has a hummus recipe which made me feel jealous not that I had Kill him and take it. Oh, speaking of killing and taking, I never talked about this that came from that DLC. I only had one war that they added a new Casus Belli, and that is Artifact War. Especially people who have claims for artifacts that are either taken or lost, or, or when a ruler dies and due to partition where it's like, okay, some of these sons do have a claim to this artifact, and they're going to fight wars for it. If after they... It's usually started by, it's like, demand an artifact. They send you a message that says, Hey, I want that artifact. Give it to me. And you can choose to decline or accept. Although it won't cause a war. It's just lowered opinion if you choose to decline. Um, Why the hell would anyone want that? Um, I only had one war. And that was against Bulgaria, who wanted the sandals of Jesus back. Why? Trust me. Men are willing to die for certain artifacts. Have you ever heard of the War of the Bucket in Italy? Fucking course not. <laughs> they existed. You know, wars for certain 
pieces of clutter that they want that's valued to some guy. Yeah, but as we learn from the friggin' Latin, cautious belly, it doesn't mean anything. It's an excuse. It should be cautious, whatever the Latin is for excuse. Excuses, Bella, I guess. Yeah. Or the other alternative is just, oh, use your intrigue and try to, you know, do a heist and steal the thing instead. Instead of sending thousands of men to fight and go get the thing. Yeah, then your spy gets caught trying to steal the thing and you go to war anyways. It's just like stealing a certain somebody that would kickstart a war, you know, like the Trojan War. Which didn't happen, but okay. <laughs> but then again, what we know is well, there is evidence of a war that happened in Troy, but we can't be certain it's the Trojan War. Yeah, every time someone references the Trojan War, I was like, you know, a guy made that up, right? Like one dude just came up with a whole story and invented fictional characters, and people pretend that's a historical person. I was like, what? Shit's fake, yo. <laughs> And back at CK2, I had my own version of the Trojan War, or what I called the South Indian Trojan War, which played out almost exactly like the story of the Trojan War. But obviously, different set of characters and missing a few key ones. Just obviously, everybody with different cultures and names. Instead of a big wood horse, it was a big wood elephant. Damn, you beat me to it. Because <laughs> I was going to tell you that, so at least we didn't come up with a Trojan elephant plot. <laughs> well, uh, India, that's all I know. It's the animal I know. Yeah. At least it happened far in that corner of the world where nobody would have thought about such things that happened. And, and do, you other, do you have any other mods? And, and one last thing regarding that little Indian Trojan War is um, it's not only a combination of the Trojan War, but also slightly kind of like the Kurukshetra War or the Mahabharata War from that ancient Hindu epic because of family members and relatives were involved in that conflict too, which made it even more dramatic. Yeah, on both sides, <laughs> which, uh, which uh, I would love to tell that whole story, but that's a whole nother podcast if we were doing gaming stories. Yeah, that's pretty much what you've been doing anyways, disguised as here's the mods I've been using. Uh-huh. And now this other mod that I've been, well, I haven't used it for this series yet because of the geographical location of where we are in Central East Europe, um, is uh, the mod that I will use for the next series which is called the uh, regional immersion and cultural enrichment rice do they come up with a dumb acronym and then the words or do they come up with a, a terribly long thing and then try to shove it into an acronym i don't know but it's the same guy who made the various merchant events tales mod okay well that answers the question he came up with the name first and then decided to part off so what it meant so so other than the random events mod which is what we would call simply now, the Regional Immersion and Cultural Enrichment is a library of flavor packs about the peoples and places of the world. He already had a few of them like that in Crusader Kings 2, which he only did about five of them. One was in the Peloponnesian part of Greece, which is the legacy of Sparta. And, uh, he, and he had one for the Pamir region, and another for Donghuang, the Gate of the Silk Road, or Gateway to China also. Um, he also did one for the um, Haranians, um, Haranian, which is the last of the uh, Hellenic neo-pagans of, of that part of the Middle East, despite the fact that it's largely Islamicized, but those that live there still interact with the last of the Greek pagans that were still had to be living there at that time. And the uh, one that I did, and this was the last CK2 series I did for now, until I do another one, 
which was the Amalfi Immersion Pact, the Forgotten Republic, and decided to do the Republic of Amalfi series from there. Basically an Italian-centric series as a merchant. We did Republic. mention that before, yes. Yes, it was... Well, it was more entertaining than any other series of then because I made it my own because of that said setting. And now here in CK3 for Rice, he only had a few flavor packs that came from CK2, um, such as Haran and uh, the Pamir region, and as well as the Tuyuhun, which is, again, far east as well, like in the China area. And he added more locations for those flavor packs for each of these areas, places like Brittany, Acton, Yorkshire, home of the Scarsborough Fair, uh, Guanxi, and, and Sus, or Sus as the people in America say it these days. Like, as in, like, suspect at best, is that what it means? It comes from that stupid-ass Among Us game. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, yep. There's also Sakatra, Yezd, Siberia even. And Siwa Oasis, which you might remember that place from Assassin's Creed Origins. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and the last one that he did before the newest one was in Magad, which is in northeast India, home of Patliputra, the diamond throne of Buddhism. And um, about a week ago, yes a week ago as of this recording, that he released not one but two flavor packs in this same patch. One was in... Rhodes, you know, the Greek island of Rhodes, the shadow of shadow of the Colossus is what he called it. Mm -hmm, video game. So, yeah. I mean, since I would, not, would take too much time to talk about these past ones, but the recent one here, at least I'll talk some of that, which what this is about, those each and every one of these flavor packs, they just added little features that's exclusive to that, either this province or just the region as a whole. Now for roads is to basically if you are playing the Fallen Eagle, which is another mod that takes place in the late antiquity era, like 300 years before, um, where you can visit the ruins of the Colossus to gain some inspiration. Oh, I sure did see those big bronze feet. Now I'm inspired to build a statue of myself. Yeah, so that's a mechanic that's exclusive to that overhaul mod. Um, which again, I've not played the Fallen Eagle. I have no interest in that yet. That's going to be like next year, I would assume. Oh. So in the CK3 date, 867 to 1066 and further on, uh, the other features in that area of roads is to uh, profit from the sponge diving industries of uh, Kalimnos and even send gift of sponges to foreign rulers. And you can also erect a monument around the tree of... Uh, of Hippocrates, similar to the Homer monument decision for Chios, which is another area that they did a flavor pack on. And as well as a minor flavor for Casia of Casos, which is a Byzantine um, abbess, saint, hymnographer, and poet, and one of the first named women in Western music history. Cool, literally never heard of her. And as well as 10 flavor, generic flavor events about roads and two Mediterranean themed soundtracks. In fact, each and every one of these flavor packs of all those areas have added a couple of more generic flavor events about that area of you interacting with, as well as the 
the themed soundtracks based on, you know, the culture region, the area where you're playing in. And you would be able to hear their soundtrack as you play along in the game. Yes, what this one guy thinks people several hundred years ago would have played had they the time. Uh -huh. And the other flavor pack that he did was Upper Egypt, Children of the Nile. <laughs> and again, like with Rhodes, was made in collaboration with the Fallen Eagle, um, set in the late antiquity. Um, such as playing as one of the last of the native Egyptian pagans, so to speak. And obviously in, in medieval times, no longer there. Although the Kushite faith still lives, which is derived from the old ancient Egyptian religion. I mean, it's still out there in the early start date. It's just it's usually down in Nubia or in the more isolated areas of Egypt. So all these packs are an individual thing or it comes with the... Overall, rice base. Yes, it comes with it overall. Like as soon as you make turn that mod active, all the flavor packs they're all in it. Just so how many of you actually use though? Because if you're just playing as one culture, you're not all going all the fucking way to Egypt to see some children of the Nile. Um, well, in this case, um, if you're going to be playing in Egypt, like I think it kind of gives me an idea that if I was to do my very first Muslim playthrough of Secret Three, it'll likely be in e Egypt, because you know add that along with. The Siwa Oasis flavor pack and the Red Sea flavor pack, which is also next door, and now you have Upper Egypt. <laughs> so all that would be excellent combination. So, hmm. so that's kind of convincing. So, so now in that time period, and little interesting thing for Upper Egypt flavor pack is the that the guy added the Nile flood mechanic, uh, where. On certain years, um, you, that you would have a poor flood or over flooding, but most of the time it'll just be normal flood. And so you also gotta celebrate the opening of the canals for years decision uh, if you get a good flood year, as well as renovate nilometers to ensure that you can react quickly in the bad years. Although that's. That's how it was. There was the floods. We have really, really gotten away from the central tenet of crusading kings. Yeah. yeah, it's the little things that you're doing while you live there. I know, but if you're going all the fucking way to Egypt to the garden to come with the flood season, you're the same sim farmer now. <laughs> yes, it's just development uh, growth. That That's another contributing thing, to what it'll do for the flood events. Like gain what? development or lower development. Every time you come up on a mod, you're like, well, here's the thing that changes the game fundamentally in a way that it wasn't ever meant to be played. It's like, then play a different game! Uh -huh. And the other decisions is changing that temple of Luxor from an old Egyptian pagan temple to either a Coptic church or mosque as the centuries go by, which depends on the ruler that you are of what faith you are, be it Coptic, Christian, or, or Islam, regardless which one it is. <laughs> it's just a little thing. And as well as reinforce the Darb al Abrin or the 40 Days Road, a key caravan route connecting Upper Egypt with Darfur. You know, trade routes, just to get more money, so you can use it for whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And adding new playable characters at the 867 start date to represent the volatile, intense political situation of the early Tulanid era. See, that's another enticing thing that about my possible first Muslim playthrough in Egypt, is to play as one of those unruly vassals of another a another thing i've never heard of 
and like with all the other flavor packs in the game, added eight generic Nile flavored events, and as well as five Egypt themed soundtracks. So those were the most recent ones, and the coming soon, um, what he has planned coming up for the future update, which will probably be a month or two for now. His next one is going to be in the Tarim Basin, which is in northwest China in the Xinjiang province, as it is known today. Which is the home of the, uh, not only the Silk Roads there, where it goes from, from that area, but as well as the various Silk Road cultures that lived there at that time, from... Han Chinese to Tokarians, Shaka, Sogdians, and so on and so forth. Um, so, I even um, I even asked a guy. Um, oh well, it's a wonder how I call him that guy. As we said, no names here. Well, again, if he'll promo us, I'll promo him. But otherwise, no free shit here. So it was the first time I actually sent a comment on Steam to somebody directly uh, relating to one of his works, in which. Again, I did play with the mod when I'm not recording. It's just possible ideas, you know? Uh -huh. So that's what I pretty much have in mind for CK3 and its mods, including mods we'll plan to use in the future. As always, you seem to have given yourself a lot of work. And speaking of a ton of work, every time we come on here, uh, you lie and say that you're finally done with the GTA series of videos. Until... Those missions that I'm like, me, maybe I could do this, and then, and, and then make it practical. And even if like, even if I've done something, it's like, okay, uh, that was a good recording, but let's do it again, but do it a little better, because now you're familiar with it. Now you got to figure out the strategy of how to kickstart it in a good way and all that. Mm -hmm. There's always a first time for everything. If so, are you finally going to be done with this? Oh, here's another thing we need to talk about. It's like. Uh, we're recording this in March, late March. And uh, over the Christmas, if you recall, you were gifted an Xbox Series S, which I believe is still in the box. Yes, it is. Why the hell haven't you opened it up and put all your shit in it? Was going to this week until... Uh, by this week, I mean, it, it is late March, right? When mm -hmm. And since we just mentioned uh, GTA Five. Uh, we know that GTA 5 is now available on the next-gen consoles now. Yeah, it's certainly a little bit prettier and loads a little bit faster as far as I'm aware. Yeah, but the reason of why the hesitancy, is that the word? Sure. Yeah, the reason why that is because I heard, of, at least from one person on the Rockstar Social Club website, um, that warned you, that says, it's like, hey, if... When you uh, do your character data transfer um, from the old gen to the next, um, you're going to lose all that data that was stored in the old one, but you still have what you have on the new one. In case if I were to be that kind of person that wants to go back for whatever reason, and I'm kind of like, um, that's, that why? could be a problem. Okay, then, okay, then why would you want to go back? I mean, there's some other games I still play that are still in, in the... Xbox One, rather than in this uh, next-gen version, the Series S is you know, what In theory, you can have two of them, you know, you can just put it right, well, I don't know if you have room, but you have. You can just put it right next to each other. Well, obviously you can't stack up the top one another, because that generates heat. Uh, it's not a great idea. Yeah. Knowing how expensive these things are. Hmm. Uh, 
And another thing about why have I not gone into the next gen of GTA 5 is because, um, apparently the old, I mean, yeah, I understand that single player and online are two separate things rather than in one game. Right. I mean, I understand that, but it seems, uh, there's only a public session in GTA 5, just only public, no friends only, no invite only, and that is another issue that I have. Because every time you record these missions, you has to be done solo. Yeah, because because of two things: one, don't want interference, and two, don't trust the people that I work with. I can guarantee it. And this must be nice to tell your friends that. No, I never told them that because. Well, they're gonna hear about it now, Chief. <laughs> well. Shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> admit it on the air. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know all the specifics of transferring a game like that. But uh, you're still making videos. Yeah. Um. If, if I as we speak, uh, I've already posted the last two videos before I make a go on hiatus for now, until I find some other mission or at least a multiple. Because I can't do one off. I don't like doing one off videos of that kind. There's always got to be two or three of it. Mm -hmm. on a certain basis. Well, don't worry, just wait a month. I'm sure there'll be another update to GTA Online that adds like 10 more freaking things you gotta do. If it's doable, and if it's the kind that that we'll get into. <laughs> Even though the majority of these missions I've recorded for GTA 5 were of the payphone hit missions, and as well as a couple other things that were related to a agency, especially the last two videos I made, which were both about gang termination. Yeah, you can dress it up however you like. Every single mission is go there and kill all the guys. Uh, speaking of go there and kill all the guys, you also do Red Dead series. The Red Dead uh, Redemption 2 online is not going to have, well, he's certainly not now, an HD upgrade for the Series S slash X. Because it came out back in 2018. Uh, when, did GT, when did GTA 5 come out? 2013, 2013, and that didn't stop them. <laughs> if more people bought gold on Red Dead Online like they borrowed shark cards in GTA, it wouldn't be a problem. Now, uh, the, like, we already know that the GTA 5 uh, series of videos are of the, uh, the Black Widow videos because of the character that I dress and portray, mm -hmm. and made it true to the character, too. And, and not to mention extremely popular in the sense of uh, certain circles of <laughs> true circle. the character of doing of doing hit jobs for mu music moguls <laughs> uh, and a couple other things where if it's steal supplies steal certain cars eliminate enemies steal an item destroy vehicles and escape <laughs> you can do most of that in Red Dead and including some of those high setup missions which makes a little more sense and uh, and before I even talk a little more about Red Dead, there's one more thing I would like to talk about. About the not only that the playlist of the GTA 5 Online Black Widow video series, it has over 2,300 uh, views for this playlist as a whole as of today. So it's a testament of that. After having 154 videos, that's where it stands now. 154. So. And there's a reason why there's so many videos. It's because of the positive feedback I get from them. It encourages me to make more. Now onto Red Dead. You don't get enough from that. That's why you don't do as much there. Or there just isn't as much to do in Red Dead Online. 
it's uh, slightly a combination of both. Um, the feedback from from people isn't much as compared to the other one because that's more well established. Whereas uh, Red Dead Online as a whole has been declining in popularity as of late. Because, you know, people petition for it. It's like, hey, save Red Dead Online and try to get this going again. You, I mean, you heard about that stuff. Or you don't I'll want take to. I'll take your word for it. Again, it's not a thing I pay attention to because I, you know, I had my, sure, I had my fun in Red Dead 2. And me and Sizzy and Rob played a little bit of the online. But there, was just, there just wasn't enough then. And I, I don't think there's still enough now to justify, you know, there's a big open world. nothing in there, really. And And knowing myself, I mean, you know me in the sense that I make my own fun or or work or how to get creative and such things sure challenge yourself yes um although that came a little later I mean when I first started doing these series of videos I mean in fact it's not just series of videos but it's based it's more of a there's only two playlists of Red Dead when it comes to look if you're looking for action rather than the funny nonsense that you see in random clips um, well I did the playlist on all the bar fights that I took part of. These bar brawls as part of the Moonshiners role on when you do these bootlegger missions. <laughs> so, I w so, I, so I did a bar fight in every saloon in the game. Uh, bar Fight Hero or whatever that song is called from the Dropkick Murphys. I have no idea what you're talking about. I was going to say fighting around the world from that one South Park sketch. Yeah, basically. And... And some of that was due to um, the blood money missions. Yes, the blood money missions that you get from, you know, the stranger quests, stranger side quests, not talking about single, but in online. Like you meet those guys who are, you know, of the more, who gives you the more dishonorable jobs. Well, they also give you the blood money ones. So it gives me certain different, you know, tasks as well, <laughs> including the three part contract missions. Um, which I actually made them into one video rather than three separate because I felt that it's just so the whole damn thing it's probably gonna get more attention <laughs> and of course a few other things uh, such as stagecoach stick up or clearing house uh, back pay dirty money dirty deeds there were multiple instances of that from various characters in different parts of the red dead world of those scenarios Mm. <laughs> and that was just back when I was using two Mauser pistols. Uh, now these days, um, I just use a a bow most of the time. That's part of the challenging myself thing. That's one part of it, and the other is due to the inspiration of Kate Bishop, that other Marvel character as you mentioned. Because you know, only because, well, in GTA it's like yes, I dress my characters like it, but now how about over here in Red Dead with uh, Kate Bishop? Because I there's a purple coloring there. On parts of the clothing, and it's I have a habit. Good enough, I guess. Yes, and I have a habit of using a bow, and you can use a few different arrow types. Not necessarily trick arrows, as most of them are lethal, anyhow. Mm. Especially if you shoot fire arrows or dynamite arrows. <laughs> or this thing that I do during bounty hunter missions, which is the majority of the videos I've been doing with her as of late. Which, by the way, my character's name is Helen. Named her after either Helen of Troy or the. CK2 Bosnian character named Helen, which was her baptized name. <laughs> so it was around the same time when I started Red Dead Online. <laughs> Anyways, so I used the the trigger, oh god dang it, the other arrow type, some, such as the small game arrows during bounty hunting missions where 
the bounty's getting away and uh and that person's too far away and I'm trying to catch up and I know it's too far away to throw my bolas to stop the bounty from running. And how to catch up is do a dead eye, aim in the head, release the small game arrow. It won't kill him, but it'll do some damage. Just don't hit too much of it. Like shoot too many times and you'll eventually kill the person with small game arrows. Oh. So you just hit one in the head and he'll just ragdoll on the way down. So it gives me time to catch up and then bolas and tie him up. What's one of those video gaming things that doesn't make any damn sense? That just because it, you shoot like a pellet gun that's designed to kill a snake or a rabbit, that doesn't mean it's too small to kill a human. It probably could. So yeah, uh, maybe if you use that varmint rifle, is that what you're probably thinking of, rather than a pellet gun in a game? Um, I know, I'm just, whatever it's called. You know, like, the, the what'd you get, the arrows? What are the name of the arrows? The arrows, um, besides the regular. Yeah, what are they called? You just said it. Yeah, small game. Small game. I'm editing all this. Yeah, but like the small game arrows, that'll still probably kill a human if you get them in the right tendon or their artery and bleed everywhere. No, but... It's like, oh, I hit him in the head, it'll knock him out. It's a knockout arrow. Yeah. What? Yeah, but... Boxing glove arrow? But, yeah, but the way... I mean, on the pamphlets, you know how you craft things like you did in single player back then? You craft certain things, right? Sure. Um, crafting... Small game arrows, which is something you can do. Um, not only requires flight feathers from the bird, that's one ingredient. The other is have an arrow, and the other is um, shotgun shells. As in, you know, take all those pellets out of that shotgun and use the shotgun casing um, on, on top of the arrowhead so you don't use that sharp arrowhead to penetrate, but to bounce it off of it. Even it would still kill a squirrel, but still. I was gonna say, yeah, you could throw it at it, throw the shells at the thing. It's just, yeah, it's, it's one of those many, many things in Red Dead that's just like, they spent way too much time on. I, I, I generally wonder, like, there's so many tiny things in Red Dead that, frankly, are unnecessary. And if they hadn't bothered with that stuff, if they could have focused on making a more vibrant online world instead of the little tchotchkes of your friggin' cores. Yeah, at least the these recordings, I don't have to worry about, you know, cores as it's all less than, most of the time, less than 10 minute missions where you just get them done. Um, yeah. And uh, and using the bows not only to challenge myself, and as I mentioned before, inspired by Kate Bishop, because wondering that if she was in the Old West and what kind of line of work she would be into, it would likely be bounty hunting. You know, most of them just take it alive. I just have a success rate very high in taking them alive. Only had very few... Uh, ones that turn out dead, some of which were accidental. <laughs> and including one time where a freaking grizzly bear came and killed my bounty target before I shoot that poison arrow. That's another arrow type I didn't mention. Poison arrow. That's also to be used. Would also kill a human. Yes, d indefinitely, but we'll definitely put down a grizzly bear. <laughs> which, is, which is how the standard procedure, like if a bear comes out quick, switch a poison arrow, and then you shoot it, then he'll go away, and then you continue on with your journey. Got to be prepared. That's why I carry a bow at all times because of different ammo types that you can switch on to go. Arrow types of ammo, it's the same. Yeah, I get you. And uh, and besides the majority of them being bounty hunter missions, I also do this other bootlegger missions as part of the moonshine as well, and that is to go poison a moonshine still, even though that's optional. Because if you get detected, you have to destroy it, and sometimes brings enemy reinforcements your way in the form of revenue agents rather than those moonshiners that in the area um so these days i kind of do it like hitman 
just just take out their guards one by one as long as they do not see it on their cone of vision. If they see it, that's detected and you're screwed. And that fails the poison part and you gotta destroy the moonshine still. So these days, just kill all the enemies silently by any means. Either arrow or just choke them out to knock them out or knife which I hardly Why ever use. Why would they continue running the still when all the employees are dead? Because some people just want to see him dead in those videos. There's joy in no, that. No, 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 no. If you get caught, you have to destroy because they know you're there to poison. If you don't get caught and kill everyone, well, this moonshine's probably fine. There's a bunch of dead guys around here. What? Who knows? Maybe the next set of moonshine people will come and then <laughs> they'll be wanting to say, hey, everybody's dead. And they was like, well, what about the moonshine? And then, oh! Again, I must ask, why aren't you actually just playing Hitman? Because you seem to be doing forcing Red Dead and GTA into that. Well, I remember I saw a, a Twitter post somewhere that had that kind of sentiment that you just had. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Since I mentioned those two Marvel characters. Well, I, well, no, it's, it's the same sentiment I have earlier. It's like, you know, you're doing so much fucking land management in Crusader Kings. It's like, you know, there are land management games. You don't need to force that onto something else. Yeah, hear me out, as that person says in that Twitter post says, how about this? It's just basically suggestions, in which it's, they're asking only female fans. It says, what do you girlies want to get video games? In which that person says, hear me out, a Black Widow game, similar to Hitman, being able to change methods and weapons, and an open-world Hawkeye game, changing between Kate and Clint, just like GTA Five. So why don't you reply to that tweet just showing your damn videos? You know what? Maybe I should. Huh. Yeah. That's okay. So, so that's what I've been. That. So that's what I've been doing lately, particularly the Red Dead ones, because they are far easier to edit and work on as compared to the GTA Five videos. You can't dick with all the camera angles like we've mentioned before. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's less tedious that way. Okay. Uh, you you have to tell me what the next thing is so I can figure out a transition. Right. Um, so. After uh, after all that action-heavy stuff, and I'm and I'm kind of surprised of all the podcasts that I've listened back, not just us, but also you and Stizzy and Rob, and sometimes with Brother Nick, Brother Nick, as if he's a monk. <laughs> Anyways, um, you never talked about racing games, and I know I've played plenty of racing games back in my day. I tried to, God, a long time ago because. Because we've been doing this thing off and on for almost seven years now or something. So I th I'm pretty sure I've tried to bring it up before, but, you know, the other two guys don't play any at all. And they're, you know, if uh, they're playing a, a third-person game that has driving in it, that's kind of their exposure to it, as opposed to an exclusively driving game. But it's something I play a ton of. You know, I play the Forza, obviously, in the Motorsport and the Horizon and Grid and the sequel to Grid and Dirt and Dirt 5 and... Yeah, Project Cars and 2 and 3 and a bunch of other shit. I almost played Gran Turismo, but Gran Turismo is kind of shitting itself right now because of Sony's dumbass business practices. Yeah, this is all breaking news to us. Well, yeah, it happened of the week of a recording, so by the time we, by the time I finish this edit and publish it, it'll probably won't be relevant anymore, so I don't want to get too in-depth in it. But basically, a major problem in racing games right now is... Well, the point of the race, obviously, as you could guess, is to drive cars very quickly and be the first in the race, right? 
Yeah. The best way to do that is to have the best car, right? Mm. The best way to have the best car, sometimes you win it, depending on the kind of game it is. And sometimes you have to buy it with in-game currency. And sometimes even then, you can buy in-game currency to buy the car. What uh, Gran Turismo 7 is currently doing is all that thing I just said, but they're making the cars... Uh, they're putting, like, was false scarcity or purposeful scarcity, whatever the word is, where the cars are so rare that they're on a time limit. So if you don't have enough in-game currency to buy the cars that are on a time limit, you have to pay with real money to buy the in-game currency, to use the in-game currency to buy the time limit car. And uh, that's kind of horseshit. And I don't want to say predatory, but it's not a great idea, and it's certainly not a good look for, you know, what is ostensibly supposed to be about driving digital cars real fast. Because that's the, the other thing. It's like, you could probably get a gun and go shoot people and rob a bank, you know. Or you could do that in Grand Theft Auto, it's a little bit safer. It's way harder to get a sports car, drive it, in, you know, in a circle with 21 other people who also have sports cars going 200 miles an hour and, you know, not die. But, so it's much, much simpler and safer and, frankly, I don't say more exciting, but it's as close as you get in a video game. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, what do you think? I still drive vehicles to this day in, in certain games. I know, but that's not, like... Even though it's called Grand Theft Auto, the point of the game is not to steal cars. Yeah, yeah I was it's about to say the theft in the Grand Auto. Yeah, but that's what the games used to be. They just kind of carried on this tradition. You know, ever since 3, they've kind of been like, okay, now do jobs for mob bosses. That's basically what the series has become. Have you ever, how many... I know I, I've, I've played like 20 in the last year. How many have you played? I know you don't play any currently, but I know you used to in the 64 or whatever. Huh. And the PC, and the GameCube, and a little bit of the PlayStation 2. I don't remember you playing any of... What was the one that we had on PS2? Midnight Club 3 Double Edition Remix? Well, well, let me tell you the those racing games I've played in my lifetime, so to speak, since we're talking racing history and games. Hmm. So, the earliest one I could think of was uh, Wacky Wheels. Not Wacky Race, is that old Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah, this was a uh, oh, freeware game, is that what they were called? Yeah, it may have been. And was it by Apogee? Apogee. Huh. I don't know. God, it was a long... Dude, the 90s was a long time ago. Yeah, those are the same guys who made uh, Duke Nukem, right? I don't actually know that it was Apogee. I know it came on the same CD-ROM that the, those first two Duke Nukem games came on. Yeah. I can't really remember. It was a long time ago. I remember the game, certainly. I just don't remember when we played yeah. it. Yeah, I think Blake Stone might have been on there, which was a Doom clone. Oh, there were one million Doom clones, including several Star Wars Doom clones. And uh, Jazz Jackrabbit was on there. Mm -hmm. One of the early Epic games before they made Gears of War and the Unreal Engine making billions of dollars. And even Epic Pinball. You mentioned Epic Games in its earliest cool racing games though yes yes I'll get back to the racing now wacky wheels is one of them yeah it's a freeware game that's the again it's the earliest one i could think of as far as memories concerned and uh and i'm sure there is a ad nauseum amount of racing games i've played at our shareware some of which yeah that's what that's what that wheels game was. that was shareware not freeware because i know we didn't have the full version of it I'm sure 
I'm sure the full version is out there on the internet somewhere, which I wouldn't it's mind. Definitely again. not worth playing today because it's like. To my memory, Wacky Wheels was just a Mario Kart clone, like ripoff. Yeah, you shoot things. You shoot those little hedgehogs or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you could do that in Mario Kart. You could throw bananas or shells or whatever. Look, I never really got into Mario Kart. Like, for all the racing I've done, that one's, kart racing is not... I'm going to go ahead and say fun. I get why people play it, but I don't find that... I much prefer cars to look like cars. <laughs> you know, Like cars that don't have people, let's say. Like, you're driving a vehicle, there might as well not be a person in it. When you're a kart racer, it's like, you're not playing this because it's a racer. You're playing this because Mario could throw fireballs at Donkey Kong. Don't pretend otherwise. Okay, slightly jumping ahead. Yeah, I did play uh, Mario Kart 64, but that was one time only. I was going to say, we didn't own that. Yeah, we didn't own that, but let me tell you. You know where I played it in? A cousin's house, I would guess. No. It was in uh, San Antonio. Um. It was at a car dealership of all places. I, I, oh, are you waiting for mom and dad to buy a car or something? No, it was me and dad there. So dad was the one there. Um, and uh, and I remember, again, I have a very good memory where we were just uh, both sitting on a chair waiting for, you know, you know how long it takes to buy a car at a dealership? I'm right? well aware of how long it takes to buy a car. So yeah, we were just at a waiting room and uh, before I dozed off for a nap, which I kind of remember seeing uh, what was playing on TV, which was CNN covering uh, some war footage in Afghanistan. So this was no doubt... Oh, late that narrows it down. So this was in 2001, late 2001, around November time frame. <laughs> and then after I woke up from that brief nap, and, and, and Dad is like, hey, so I'm going to show you something. And, and like, okay, and I went to this little... Um, room which i guess it's originally meant for you know children to come over there to pass the time in case they were to bring kids here but there weren't much kids here so so i so what was so what i see there is a nintendo 64 and uh, and a game that seemed to be left on as it was in the demo screen <laughs> is mario kart 64 and uh me and dad actually played it even though he had very little experience in video games and uh, so i do remember it was Mario Kart 64, but actually playing and racing the the game is all blurred to me because it's all I could remember from there. I don't think you've ever told me that story in 20 years. Yeah. Wow. I think it was at a Cavender Buick dealership, whatever that <laughs> was called. We don't need to plug Cavender Buick. Um, yeah, that, our, our father has doesn't know nothing about video games. He doesn't listen to this, so it's fine. Uh, yeah, I never knew you played that, because I never did. I played the one on uh, the Mario Kart on the DS, I think, because it came with the DS, or the 3DS, or 2DS, one of them damn DSs. Yeah, and that's another thing, which I did not name in my list of games that I remember. Any racing games that were from a top-down view, because I'm sure there are plenty of them that we played back in the day. Yeah, those are really, those are even lamer than kart racers, though, because you're controlling a pixel. They even look like a car. It's like, let's presume this, this rectangle is a car, like in the old Atari systems. Yeah. Isn't, uh, although I might be going crazy in the head here, isn't Spy Hunter a racing game? No, it's a shooter disguised as a racer. Because you have guns, it's, you know, James Bond aesthetic. You have guns in the front of your Aston Martin, you shoot, you drive on an endless highway. It's like a bullet hell, but you don't have infinite bullets. Yeah, and I think I recall playing, uh, again, it's a, it's a game suited for children, uh, uh, educational game, um, that they did have something like that. Um, 
of a spy hunter type game which is uh, a spy fox themed game of that oh i have a vague recollection of that too yeah yeah i just can't remember the name but i do re recall something like that and for the life sounds familiar <laughs> and i even thought about this when i was writing the list of racing games i remember i'm like why isn't there a 007 racing game there was really Yes, I can't remember what it's... I'm going to look it up. I'm going to pause the podcast or look it up. <laughs> I, I know it existed. Oh, good God, because that, I would have... Uh, it was literally called 007 Racing on the PlayStation 2000. Son of a beeswax. How did I miss out on that? Because we didn't own a PlayStation 1. Yeah. Wasn't Donkey... Wow, it has a plot and everything, too. It's fucking dumb as hell. <laughs> <laughs> as with some things... Wasn't, uh, though, I'm... No, 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 I don't know why I'm thinking of that, because that's another world in itself. <laughs> and also, we, in, in back in the Nintendo, we did play F-Zero X. Oh, yeah, that was a huge one in my youth. I loved that. Yeah. It, that, that had a great, you know, chip tune. That had great music. Yeah. That's the thing I remember again, most about F-Zero. Again, that music screams 1990s. Well, because it was all very bassy and hard guitars. Um, you know, the distortion was cranked to max and everything. Because the N64 couldn't do, like, great sound because it was a cartridge, not like the PlayStation CD-ROMs where you could have, you know, larger sound files and video files, frankly. And that wasn't really a thing on most N64 games. It was, you know, toward the end of the life, but, you know, neither Bond game had voice. And I know everyone's, like, touting the Mario 64, but that had, like, four lines in it. You know, on the occasional whoop for Mario, but they that F Zero game had music and no lyrics, but it had music. Oh, uh, well, I think uh, I think the lyrics are sometimes audible, but they're often muffled. I don't remember there being any singing. Uh, no, not not words, just as I said, muffled sounds. Well, and it's not words. It's not a song. It's just music. But some people. But that's kind of where you. That's kind of where you fell off. Because I, when's the last time you've actually played one? Like the hell with history. When's the last time you played one? Anything. Not GTA Race. Yeah, the not GTA Racing on purpose. Nor impromptu races where you start from where your current position is and pick whatever endpoint it is. That's what they do over there. Impromptu races mm -hmm. for you and your friends. And if you succeed, you gain some RP. Woohoo! No money in it whatsoever. Oh, and I don't remember if there is horse racing in Red Dead Online. I probably wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll just be no contest because all the horse... Not everybody has the fastest horse if they can afford it and care for. Yeah. So what was the actual last racing game on the 64? The the last racing game on the 64? No, you played. Oh, I played. was F-Zero-X and even played it on the Wii. When the when you oh, in the virtual console, yeah, yes, yeah. virtual console, yes. Um, so I remember we also had the Lego Racers on the sixty-four. Yeah, before I get into Lego Racers, which is another thing I did play. You know what's the thing that still sticks with me from F Zero X? Mm. It's just whenever I'm not going to the area I'm supposed to go to, sometimes I tell myself, "You're going the wrong way." Yeah, that is that's that commentator. You got boost power. That guy was great. Alright, first place. Yeah, the final lap. It's very distinctive. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Lego Racer, which we've played. Uh, that's a whole different podcast episode in itself um, on that subgenre regarding Lego games. Lego games. Oh yeah, we've played a lot. Yeah, I've played. I I I, eh, I haven't played one in like three years, but I have been playing them. Yeah, you played slightly more than I did in terms of how many we've actually played. That is from well, that because brand. they 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 went away from like. I know there's one that Lego City one went like original story, but most Lego games the last twenty years have been licensed properties. You know, from Warner Brothers, Marvel, Star Wars, friggin' Pirates of the Caribbean had a Lego game. So they've really branched out in terms of licensed properties. It's like Fortnite, but not played by children, which is weird because the Legos and they're almost exclusively played by meant to be played by children. Da-da-da-da. Lego Racers was good because you could build the car and you could make it as stupid looking as possible. Yeah, and it does not affect the performance whatsoever. The the driving wasn't very good, though, I recall. Because, I don't know if you remember the N64 controller, but it was a piece of shit. Oh, yeah, the one stick. The stick, it's not even like, oh, it had three prongs and you hold the middle prong. It's like, that stick died so quickly. We complained in the modern day about stick drift on the, you know, the Nintendo Switch. But Nintendo 64 had e- easily the worst drift of any control stick in the history of control sticks. It would just break, immediately, you know, within weeks. Yeah, it's just to our modern eye, it looks ridiculous. But to us, when we were children, it was state-of-the-art. No, absolutely not. I thought it was stupid 20 years ago. Don't pretend. But, uh, now it's what we had. You know, you don't have comparisons. That's like, if we said this before on the podcast, like, nostalgia is a... It's not a double-edged sword, it's like a triple-edged sword. Because you remember only the good, but there was so much bad that you've forgotten... And there's so much bad that you weren't aware of because you didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, we compare backwards. We never compare forwards. At no point during playing, uh, you know, F-Zero X did we think, wow, I bet there'll never be another good F-Zero game ever again. Uh, There was one on the GameCube that we never played. I don't remember what it was called. GX, I think. Uh, Never played for whatever reason. Let's move on to more more realistic racers like Forza. Uh, Yeah, and, uh, and of course I do remember another old PC race games play, which I doubt you remember. It's called Soda Off Racing. Off-road racing. I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, we only drive like three different vehicles, and um, again, it's just one of those... I don't know. It's it's age-old PC, mid-90s PC type games, graphically. Um, and uh, and there was another racing game, but it's this one. It's with, you know, friggin' motorcycles. Do you remember Moto Racer? See, now, I classify these as two different kinds of games. Because I like car racers. Bike racers still exist. They still make those MX versus ATV games, or whatever they're called, the Motor X games. Those still exist. They've been not stopped in 20 years. But I don't play those. I don't much care for that. Because it's like dirt bike racing. Yeah, Uh, Moto Racer is... Yeah, Moto Racer. Yeah, like excitement. What, what, what? Yeah, Moto Racer is not a dirt bike one. It's a... What's the one that? Oh, it's the sport bikes on the road. Yeah, I hate those even more. There's those ride games. They, they, I think there've been four games I've just called ride, that are super bike racing on roads. I hate those too, because like with a car, it's a large box, right? So if you're going 200 miles an hour, you know, Twitch will destroy you. But you're not usually going 200 miles an hour. You know, you're going a quarter of that on average, because of turning. So you're going a certain speed, and you can have control of this thing. On a bike especially a sport bike, you know, you're going 150 miles an hour and you tap the stick, boom, you're off your bike. You just crashed. You careened off into the corner and died. Which I guess is realistic because it's mega dangerous to ride that stuff in real life, but 
or video game, I've never liked any of those sport bikes or even the dirt bikes. They're just far too twitchy for my liking. Yeah, yeah. and playing Motor Racer, I do have a memory where I don't know if you were involved, but I know it was me and Nick was involved and some cousins of ours. And we actually played a, a system link or a LAN or whatever they call it. It's isn't internet related, but it's kind of connected. Yeah, it, was, we, it was LAN. Uh, I do recall this, yes. Because our dad had like four computers set up for whatever reason, and we installed the same game on all four computers and had a mini race. Yeah, that... maybe we did that for Halo later too. But yeah, the, the, like I would never play that game on my own. Yeah, that's just um, it's the little things that you remembered that was like, well, damn, this is quite a thing. <laughs> yeah, no one had the internet back then. I don't know if you remember this. And speaking of quite a thing, as we. Go back one more time for the Nintendo 64. We used to play Star Wars Episode 1 Pod Racer. Again, I don't know if this really counts as a kind of racing game I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, because of the license. I know they re-released it on the PS4, Xbox One. and uh, Having played it, I can tell you, it does not hold up. Graphically or control-wise. But again, you know, you had nothing else to play back then. and It was a very tight little racer. And I think the reason I enjoyed it the most is because I could cheat the shit out of it. You know, you, you waggle the stick a certain way, you name your character a certain thing, and it's like, okay, well, now I have access to the debug menu. Okay, I'm going to lower the speed of every other racer and increase my speed, which is a horrible idea because it's fucking uncontrollable. Oh. Which, again, I guess is realistic because the pods always seemed incredibly uncontrollable in the movie. Then from one Nintendo 64 to the GameCube, I, only can, I can only remember playing at least two... GameCube games that are of a racing genre. One of which was, which again, it's just little recollection. One of which was Need for Speed Underground. You're, yeah, that was more Nick's game. Yeah, that was that was more of his thing. And the other one I recalled was Midnight Club 3 Dub Edition, the original. Version. Yeah, but that was the one we had on PlayStation 2, so we had that twice? Yeah, we had it on a GameCube, I could have sworn. No, it was definitely on the PS2, because I still have that here somewhere in this hell room. Hell House? Uh, I still have the PlayStation 2 in here somewhere. I have to go digging for it, but I don't know if it works anymore. I know I have that game. I don't remember the other... I think the other PS2 game is I have Splinter Cell, which I've owned on every possible platform. Um, and uh, over on... And you mentioned PlayStation 2. I only played one in PlayStation 2. So that was Burnout Takedown. Oh, yeah. See, that one I thought we had on the Xbox. No, it was definitely the PlayStation I can remember. Oh, no, I swear it was on the Xbox. It was Burnout 3 Takedown, then Burnout 4 was called something else, but I don't remember what it was called. Paradise? No, Paradise is a later game. What the hell is Burnout 4? I'm going to look at it. I don't give a shit. I'll cut all this. Trim this episode down by 10 minutes. Revenge. It was Burnout 4 Revenge. I don't remember what we were revenging, but yeah, that's what it was called. Yeah, and, and that game, suggested in the name, isn't always about racing. There's other game modes you could do. I know, but you're still going in the fastest car possible. That's why it's like, you know, the dirt bike game and the sport bike game. It's like, is it really racing if you're, you know, not against anyone and against the clock? Is it really racing if you're doing stunts? And it's like, eh, I guess that could be like a sub-genre of racing. But I'm not into the sub-genre. I just, I want to be, I want to go fast. And does that include racing mini-games within the game? See, now those usually suck dick. Uh, because it's not built on that platform. You know, Forza... 
the crew, whatever, it's built on the platform of racing. So that's the idea that they have, and they add things onto that. Something like, you know, Cyberpunk we talked about in the last episode. I fucking love Cyberpunk, but the driving in that is god-awful miserable. Because they didn't intend it to be a driving game. You know, it's driving is one of the things you can do in it. So, you know, Grand Theft Auto, at least there's a similar base. But in so many third-person games, you're like, well, okay, here's a part of the racing segment, like in Mafia. It's like, this fucking sucks. Because you didn't build a racing engine. You just shoved cars onto the engine you already have. Or the race. So I'm a... Ra- I'm a racing game purist. I'm a racist, if you'll say that. <laughs> or even that time you played uh, that little racing minigame at times from the old Saboteur game. For some reason, I remember that more than anything else. Oh, yeah. That was a good game, but the racing in that was fucking terrible because it was open wheel. It was in the 40s and open wheel and seatbelts didn't exist. And, uh, you know, st- power steering wasn't a thing. I, I guess that's a big distinction. It's like... Modern racing, after, let's say, post-1970, when we invented safety measures, we invented power lock brakes, we invented anti-roll bars, we invented anti-lock brakes, I should say, power steering, you know, stuff that makes it a more controllable unit, as opposed to the wildness that was 1930s and 40s open-wheel racing. Now, despite all these things I've said and all this love I've poured out for racing games, I fucking can't watch racing. NASCAR is the most boring shit on Earth. I'd rather watch a baseball game. (laughs) And, uh... And does that include Formula One races and racing games? Boring. So boring. Formula One racer is okay as a game, but I'd rather have, uh, bot- let's, I guess, stock car racing is what it's called. But I've never, I've never, well, not never. I know we played a NASCAR game like in 99 or something, but like I don't give a shit about modern NASCAR. Don't even know who half of these people are. No, I don't care. I, I like Forza and I like Grid and I almost liked Gran Turismo before they shit themselves, but... You know, the crew and Project Cars to a lesser degree. There's plenty of good op- good options out there if you just want to go fast and not have too much bullshit bogged down in your game. And th- th- here's the real reason to wrap this up here. The real reason I love racing games is they're mindless. Can you do anything else while you're playing Crusader Kings? Of course not. You have to concentrate on what you're doing or something bad will happen. Yeah, that's what the term map staring exists. Can you do anything else when you're doing your GTA heist? Absolutely not. If you get distracted, an enemy will gang up on you and destroy you. You can do... You think, well, you have to concentrate on the road and racing. Not really, because once you, you know... Here's the trick of racing. Don't look at your car. Don't look at your car. Don't look at other people's cars. Look at the track. And if you see how the track moves around, if it's just an oval like an Indy or, you know, Sebring, Big S... You know, once you go around it, you realize, okay, this is when I brake, this is when I accelerate. And you can just kind of set your mind aside. So I love racing games for the ability to allow me to do something else. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I, I have to multitask. I have to be doing two things at once because of the way my brain works. So racing games really allow me that opportunity to play a game but also have a conversation. Uh, like if I'm playing a deep RPG, I can't talk to anybody. Because I have to focus on what the hell I'm doing. I play a racing game, I can talk because I don't have to concentrate too hard, even though that seems the antithesis of what you should be doing while racing. I don't know. It's the ADD talking. Uh-huh. Well, there is one last racing game I'll talk to, but it's a pretty different kind of racing game, which I kind of played last week. Okay, I'm going to cut that out, so I need you to introduce that better. Well, anyways, um, since we've been talking about modern cars, but now it's a racing game that we go back to the time of the ancient Romans. Um, 
It's a chariot racing game, uh, which is called um, Quadriga, uh, or Quadriga, but they spell the use of the V's, you know, Latin letters. Do you, do you actually do the races like it's Ben-Hur or that shitty part of Assassin's Creed Origins, or you're just placing bets? No, it's a, it's a not only a sports racing game, but it's also strategy. Um, oh, let me try to explain it here. It's a tactical game of chariot racing where you take control of the four-horse chariot team, um, four horses, and choose your preferred upgrade combinations to improve your skills in the arena, and you select the most cunning actions in which the team would perform against the best drivers of the old world, where you could shake reins to accelerate or decelerate, whip horses, choose lanes, Hold tight while negotiating curves and avoid oncoming I mean, attacks. And if you earn enough Drachme, you can get the boost power up. Yeah, Nitrous. Yeah, and you also got to avoid oncoming attacks and block the enemy's path. Or lacerate and whip them until achieving victory. Because you're allowed to pick a, a move to say, it's like, okay, I want to bash this guy's in. Or just whip their driver to attempt to kill him. And, and that would count as do not finish or KIA. So here's the thing about old-timey racing. It was always in a fucking oval. No one had any other ideas. NASCAR still drives in a fucking oval. Indy still drives in a fucking oval. So you see the big hippodrome or whatever it was called in Alexandria. It's like, well, it's a big oval and we go around and around and around for five million hours and there's nothing else interesting. Not That's all, not interesting racing. Not all of its circuses, as it was then called at that time, are all ovals. They all have a U-shaped right, track. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's just half an oval. Yeah, they do that, but they still do laps. <laughs> so... So, yeah, you get to travel to all parts of the old world, all the, you know, areas of the Roman Empire at that time, and go all the circuses so you can unlock higher category by building your fame until you have enough to advance to this next area. It's like, here's a Tier 1 race, there's Tier 2 race, and get all the way to Tier 5 for, you know, big reward and all that until you make enough money. It's like, okay, let's go to another part of the country and uh, race there until eventually you got to go to Rome and race a few more circuses or tracks there until you go to the big old Circus Maximus itself. You know what? You know, they did the Daytona 500 of ancient Rome. Not really, but, well, because it wasn't entirely about racing. They were also, you know, let's murder some Christians. Um, that game altogether doesn't sound too bad, but I wouldn't play it because you said described it as a mobile game. You have to play on your iPad. Oh. Uh, Actually, I found out recently, it's like, yes, I did play it on the iPad, but just today I found out it's available on Steam. You can play it on the PC. I'm not going to play a racing game on the PC. I have a fucking mouse and a keyboard. No, you need a control stick. If I had an open wheel... I, it's the other thing. I play so many racing games. I don't have one of those big wheels that a lot of people have, the big system wheels. Because uh, having played them in arcade, like with Cruising USA and shit, that stuff's a pain in the ass. I don't want realism. I want semi-realism. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a one-click decision-making interface, mind you. So then it's not a fucking racing game. As I said, it's the strategy part of racing. You're fucking team management. This might as well be football simulator. What's a football manager? I used to play a few of those old shareware once, but that's a whole nother podcast in itself. If we're going to do sports podcasts in general... Well, I'm running out of fuel in this metaphorical race. So, uh, you have anything to final plugs here? Uh, for the final lap? <laughs> well, for my upcoming uh, projects or works regarding to my YouTube channel and others, obviously the ongoing uh, Crusader Kings 3 series with the Avars 
and as well as a, another series planned for, we mentioned about for CK3 we're planning on using that rice mod for one of the upcoming flavor packs and those that come after and uh, and of course I will finally get back into Marvel's Avengers I'll finally get into that again um, as mm -hmm. I'm after like another after yet another update yeah which I'm, I'm about 22% still the last time I checked when I got on it the other day <laughs> and uh, <coughs> and what else and not obviously none of the racing games I mean that those are just pastime stuff uh, for me at least uh, especially that cherry racing game I mentioned which is for rare occasions <laughs> and <coughs> and of course the uh, those bunch of Red Dead videos that I've recorded that is still coming up to my YouTube channel because there's about 30 plus of them that I've recorded again. And what is that YouTube channel? Me forcing you to wrap this up. It is the uh, the Lord Master channel. That is L zero R D. That's Lord. No space in between. Master M S. No, damn it. M A S T A. It's fine. It's not normally a thing you say out loud. It's understandable. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Wilkie Jarson. This podcast is available on both iTunes and Spotify. The website is www. You have to put the Ws or it doesn't work. I haven't figured out why. Internetsworth.com. Uh, thanks for being on again, Thomas. Anytime. Uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>